energy. So this guy in the fantasy baseball chat is just ripping me. He's calling me names for how I handled my team. Buddy, you had 20 weeks for your own team to play better. Don't be mad at me. The passion. Mac Jones is fighting not just for his Patriots job, but he very well may be fighting for his NFL future. The opinions on all your favorite teams. For the Red Sox, it can't always be about next year. It can't always be about down the road. Where's the team that battles for now? This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? A very happy Patriots win Monday to you on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM and FM, WDEBradio.com. we got a full show tonight, all 90 minutes. We're up until 7 o'clock. No Red Sox game, final off day of the regular season for the Sox. I can't believe that we are here, but we are here the final week of the Red Sox regular season. They will be back at it again tomorrow night. It's kind of a weird schedule the rest of the week. We're actually going to be off the air Wednesday and Thursday because of early Red Sox start times. So we've got a lot to get to today, our only full show of the week. Matt Verderam, the NFL insider over at Sports Illustrated, is going to stop by at about 625 or so to talk about the Patriots' win over the Jets. You could talk about it as well by getting into the text line at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The Pats are 1-2. and two. They're on a one-game win streak. I'm here. Danny's here. You're here. Danny, let go. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, Rouses Point, New York, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Patriots win. It is a happy Patriots win. Monday, 15-10 to 10 was the final, and the Patriots are 1-2 and two on the season. Danny, I am fighting hard not to be a hypocrite. I really am. I know that beggars can't be choosers, but I really wish I was feeling better here on a Patriots win Monday than I feel. Again, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm happy they won. They won a game they should win. I give them credit for doing that. They go on the road and win a game in the division. I give them credit for that, too. They're one and two. Their season is not over. There are winnable games potentially on the schedule in front of them. So there are things to be happy about. There are things to be optimistic about. But I'm not going to lie to you. I thought when the Patriots won a game, I was going to feel better about it than I do today. It was a critical win. It was a season-saving win. But I just I just don't feel that good about what we saw. And I ask you, 802-585-3026, do you feel better about the Patriots after this game? Simply put, do you feel better about the Patriots after that game? They are 1-2. and two. They are now alive. They are now in it. They are now not in last place. They are. You know, they have saved their season. And I acknowledge all of that. But I still, I still don't feel that great. Danny, do you feel better today? Not a whole lot, no. Okay, what, what, what we're going to unpack the Patriots here in 10 minutes or so. And then I'll really go into all of my takeaways. But, Danny, what stood out to you? What is your one big thing from yesterday's game? Just the lack of everything, like not scoring it. 
it was just really pathetic to watch, right? I mean, it, we we called it. We said on Friday that it was going to be the or Thursday that it was going to be the bar rescue game of the week. We said that nationally that game was going to be the worst game. It was the most important to us, but nationally we said it would be the worst game. It pretty much was. I mean, Browns and, and Titans was an ugly 27 to three slog, and Buffalo over Washington 37 to three was ugly. But Patriots and Jets was ugly. Okay, it was ugly. All around, it was ugly basically from start to finish. And for me, no, I do not feel better about the Patriots today, really. The game was played in a rainstorm. It was played on the road. I know it, I wasn't expecting it to be aesthetically pleasing. But this was a game where I was hoping and expecting the Patriots to look and feel like they were in control. Instead, they had to sweat it out until the very last play of the game. And that's what frustrates me the most. This was a game... The Patriots should have felt like they were in control of throughout, and there were moments of that, but ultimately you shouldn't have been sweating it out on the final play, and they were. I told you on Friday, Danny, after we were done talking with Phil Perry, I thought the Patriots would win the game 27-10. to I thought they would do to Zach Wilson exactly what they did, but I thought eventually they would be able to separate offensively, and that's what they weren't able to do. This game was playing out exactly like I thought it would until midway through the third quarter, right? Patriots were up 10-3 at the half and then only scored five points in the entirety of the second half. They once again started the game slowly on offense, getting just a field goal in the third quarter. They now have three points in three first quarters this year. They've averaged one point per, per, uh, per first quarter. That's inexcusable. They scored just three points in the third quarter. They now have one point per third quarter on the season. That is inexcusable. And in a game where you clearly had a distinct advantage over the other team's offense and the other team's quarterback, I expected you to be able to separate, and the Patriots couldn't do it. I told you I thought it would be close and a slog early, but eventually the Pats would pull away. They had their chance to do that. They never did that. And that's why I don't feel that great today, because good teams pull away. Good offenses pull away. They find ways to put you away, and the Patriots didn't and couldn't do it. And that is my biggest frustration. And once again, I come back to Mac Jones. I'm not trying to be a Mac Jones basher. I'm not trying to be a Mac Jones hater. But look at it. This is now three consecutive weeks where he's had chances in the fourth quarter to do special things, and he hasn't been able to do it any of the pre- any of the three games this year, right? Week one against Miami, Danny, they have a chance to come down on the final possession and win the game. The offense and Mac can't do it. Week two against Miami, he has a chance to come down and tie the game. The offense has a chance to come down and tie the game. He can't do it. Week three yesterday, the Pats are up 13-3. to and you're thinking they're going to pull away in the first fourth quarter. And then after they go up 13-3, what happens? They go three plays minus eight yards. They go six plays 12 yards and six plays 32 yards. So after going up 13-3, they go three consecutive possessions where they end up punting. The Jets get within three at 13-10. And then, Danny, this is infuriating, right? It's 13-10 Patriots. The Patriots had the ball with five minutes to go. They have a chance to salt the game away, right? They can hold the ball for five minutes and run out the clock. 
they could score. They could kick a field goal and go up 18 to 10 and make it really tough. They could score a touchdown and put the game on ice and out of reach. They get the ball there with five minutes to play. They go three plays. They have to punt. Okay. Then the defense picks them up with a safety. Again, they get the ball back with just over two minutes to play with a chance to run the clock out or a chance to score and put the game on ice. And once again, actually that it was 16, it would have been at 16-10, excuse me, before I had it messed up. So later they could have kicked a field goal to take it to 18-10. They couldn't do it. Then the Jets turn it over on down. So the Patriots have a chance again a third time inside five minutes to play and have to again go three and out. The Patriots and Mac Jones had three possessions inside five minutes to go in this game. They had three chances to put the game away and never could. Okay, they're up 13 to 10 with five minutes to play. They can't score or extend or hold the ball. They're up 15 to 10 with two and a half minutes to play. They can't score, extend, or hold the ball. They're up 15 to 10 with a minute and a half to play, and they can't score, extend, or hold the ball. They instead had to to keep punting the ball away three times inside five minutes and had to sweat out the Hail Mary at the end, which, by the way, Randall Cobb would have caught, and that would have been that would have been in the top three most deflating Patriots games in my tenure of being here. The Miami Miracle where they lost around Christmas time against the Dolphins on the series of laterals a bunch of years ago. The game last year against Vegas where Jacoby Myers threw the ball back and the lateral was intercepted by, by Chandler Jones. And yesterday was would have been right up there because that ball could have been caught. But you know what? It should never have come down to that because the offense should have been able to salt the game away and they couldn't. Okay, good teams finish games. Good offenses put the game out of reach, and instead the Patriots were left having to sweat it out and once again rely on their defense. It's not all on Mac. Some of it falls on the offensive line. Some of it on the running game because some of these, a lot of these plays inside five minutes were run plays. But Mac was not able to lead the offense down in the finishing scenarios of the game, and that is always going to fall on the quarterback, fair or not. He had two brutal incompletions to Juju Smith-Schuster on third downs to end two of those three drives. I mean, the team was not able to finish. When you play against a better team with a better offense and a better quarterback, you won't get three chances with the ball and five minutes to play, because what's going to happen is if you're playing a great team, right, if you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs and you're up 15 to 10 and you have the ball with five minutes to go and you have to punt, you're not getting it back with the lead. Patrick Mahomes is going to score. If you're taking on Joe Burrow, you're not getting the ball back with the lead. You're going to have to then play catch-up, and we're going to get Mack in the clutch again with a chance to come down and tire win the game, in which case he has shown us that he cannot do that right now. You will have lost. If that was against a better opponent with a better offense and a better quarterback, you would have lost. You didn't lose yesterday, but you will in the future. I am happy the Patriots won. I do recognize the importance in the victory. It's important in the standings. I am much happier, I promise you, on a Patriots win Monday than a Patriots lose Monday. But I also can look through the forest and see the trees that just because they won, it doesn't mean that all the problems are gone. They played a team that yesterday was inferior. Zach Wilson was inferior yesterday. And I feel bad for Zach Wilson, but the Patriots should have done to him what they did to him defensively. 
and offensively the Patriots should have been able to look if the Jets are going to go three and out or the Jets are going to turn it over on down to go four and out and have to play snap after snap after snap. You should have been able to grind them away like Dallas did the week before, and you couldn't. So I don't feel much, much better about the Patriots. In fact, I don't feel better at all. Joe in Richmond says, I don't feel any better, but the one thing I do feel better, good about is Ezekiel Elliott looking and producing, which is what I was hoping for when they signed him. We're going to get to Zeke in unpacking the Patriots. Will in Plattsburgh says, uh, I'm glad the Pats won, but if Rodgers had played in that game, we would have gotten smoked. That's correct. Says it's hard to watch the offense. It's so frustrating. Another texter says we need Zappy. No, you don't. No, you don't. Okay, we saw Zappy couldn't even play in the preseason this year. Glenn in Brookfield says great opening, Brady. Mac is mediocre at best. Two good defenses, and we do need to factor in weather, but they sputtered to a victory. Yes, that's a perfect. That's a fair way of putting it. Sputtering to a victory. 13-3, and you have chances to salt the game away, and you couldn't do it, right? I'm watching the Seahawks yesterday against the Carolina Panthers, and the Seahawks are kind of plodding along, right? They're down 13-12 to at the half, and they come out and they kick another field goal, and they're up 15-13, to right? I think the, the Seahawks have kicked five field goals, but then they start to separate, and they score two or three touchdowns in the second half, and they ultimately win the game 37-27, right? I don't know that the Seahawks are good, but I know the Panthers aren't very good. And you take a game that was close, and eventually the better team just pulled away. And the Patriots couldn't do that yesterday. Steve over in Faston says, you and I differ a lot, but totally agree today. Thank you, Steve. It's nice to know that once in a while you can agree with me, because uh, I agree with me too on this one, right? Like, I just... There are winnable games in front of the Patriots. Not if they play like this. Not if they play like that, especially offensively. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We will unpack the Patriots. Everything else from yesterday's 15-10 to 10 win over the Jets, the good and the bad. That's next here on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Time to unpack the Patriots here in the Brady Farkas Show. Pats beat the Jets 15-10. to 10. They are now 1-2. and two. Danny, cue the music. And the sounder. Which Patriots popped? To the 30, to the 20. He is in. Soon. Bound. Pick six. Touchdown. Patriots. And which ones flopped? Jones steps up in the pocket, unloads his deep ball, and it's intercepted. That'll put the cherry on top. We unpack the Patriots now on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Good and bad. There was plenty of both. Let's start with the good. Danny, you can go a little higher on the music. There we go. Okay, good and bad, plenty of both. Let's start with the good Ezekiel Elliott. One of the texters mentioned it. You are exactly right. 16 carries, 80 yards. That's five yards per carry there for Zeke. He had a long run of 14. I thought he was only going to be a short yardage back. I thought he was going to be a goal line back, a third down back. He ended up yesterday being a hugely valuable part of the offense. This team ran for 157 yards yesterday. Zeke ran for more than half of that. Do I think he can hold up and do that every single game for the rest of the season? 
No, I don't. I don't think the Patriots should be in a position to have to count on Ezekiel Elliott to do that. But they needed it yesterday. Yesterday he delivered it. He was excellent, right? He was able to bounce outside. He was able to break tackles. Liked what I saw a lot from Ezekiel Elliott yesterday. So did Boomer Esiason, the former NFL quarterback who was on WEEI this morning. That really was impressive yesterday. I don't know. Ezekiel Elliott, that didn't look like the Zeke Elliott uh, at the Cowboys last couple of years. It looked like a new rejuvenated one. So, you know, they ran the ball for 160 yards or so. I mean, if you could do that in this league, you're going to win more than you lose. So I give him credit good for that. See, good to see the offense get going with the run game a bit, right? 40 carries, 157 yards. It's a lot of total yardage. It's still less than four yards per carry. You'd like to see the overall number better. It wasn't hugely dominant, but they were able to get it going on the ground. They were able to churn out some big plays when they needed it. I'd like to see Ramondre Stevenson have more than 60 yards or whatever he had. He's too good of a running back to be shut down as he's been the last couple of weeks. But if the Patriots are able to play from ahead and ground and pound their opponents into submission, I think Stevenson will have a better chance to get going. But big-time props there to Ezekiel Elliott. On the bad side of things, Pop Douglas removed as the punt returner after one punt in this game. He came back later in the game for another one. But my goodness, how much are we going to mess with this kid's mind? Okay, We talked a lot about this yesterday. This kid clearly, I would have to think, I don't know him, I haven't talked to him, but I would have to think that this kid is, is, is playing a little bit fearful, right? Right, So he fumbles the ball as a wide receiver on Sunday night against Miami and then gets benched. And now he's hearing everybody talk about him. He's become the story. Bill Belichick's talking about ball security. And what is he thinking? He's thinking, okay, I can't make any more mistakes. Okay, i got to hold on to the football. Okay, I can't do this. And trust me, as someone who was a nut job when they played, when you start thinking, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, you can't play that way. So what happens? Pop Douglas comes out yesterday. Receives the punt, bobbles it a little bit. They even make a comment on the broadcast. Romo and Nance are like a couple of anxious moments there on that punt return by Pop Douglas, and then and then Demario Douglas is removed as the punt returner. Like let the kid play, let the kid play, let him be an athlete, let him be a guy who 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 can make plays instead of instilling fear in him. Evan, Danny, I'll play this. Evan Cohen is is was on our show last week. He's an ESPN radio personality for ESPN radio. He was talking about Zach Wilson, but this very easily could have applied to Demario Douglas. He played petrified. And the only time that he looked like a real quarterback was late in the game when they let him just go. I think the coaches have actually destroyed him as much as he's destroyed himself. When he's taking those sacks, not the safety with Matthew Judon, but when he's taking those sacks during the course of the game, I believe it was, I am not going to turn the ball over. They have told me to not turn the ball over no matter what. He dove a couple of times. So that's Evan Cohen talking about Zach Wilson saying he's playing not to make a mistake. The same thing could be applied to Demario Douglas there. I, I have to think David still fearing him. And, and are whittling away as his confidence, right? Like, you gotta just let the kid play. You liked him enough to hide him from other people in preseason. You liked him enough to keep him on your 53. You like him enough to make him active on game day. Let him play rather than putting fear into him. And now you've benched him again for an anxious moment there. They did bring him in later in the game, but they put Jabril Peppers out there for multiple punt returns and took the job away from Demario Douglas. On the good side of things, though, for the Pats, they played 
from ahead. Okay? It wasn't huge advantages, but the Patriots played from ahead. That is how they are built to play. All teams are built to play from ahead. Some teams can also play from behind. As we've seen through two weeks, the Patriots are not one of those teams. Okay? You get up 10-3. You get up 13-3. Now you should be able to start doing what you want. Why did the Patriots run it for 160 yards? Because they were playing from a position of power. They're not built to play from behind the sticks on second and 15, and they're not built to play from 16 nothing at 14-3 or whatever it was the last two weeks against Philly and Miami. This team needs to play on script if they want to be good. And on script for them is being up in the game so they can run, so it's not all on Mac, so that they don't have to play catch it, they don't have the offensive weaponry to come back from 21 points down, right? They just don't. So play from ahead, play from a position of power, you can start to dictate terms, and that's what the Patriots were able to do for a portion of yesterday. On the bad side of things, what is going on with Juju Smith-Schuster? I mean, this was supposed to be the guy, right? Everybody who told me when I said, oh, the Patriots don't have a number one, oh, Brady, they got Juju. He won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs. They got Juju. He was great with the Steelers a bunch of years ago. Juju had one catch for five yards yesterday. I barely heard his name called in the first three weeks of the season. He had the illegal blindside block yesterday, and that was like the thing that, that was his biggest highlight yesterday was a play that was a penalty. This is a guy you're paying, I want to say it's like $12 million a year to. Right? If he hits the full value of his contract, it's three years at $36 million, I think. This is the guy that you let Jacoby Myers, a known commodity who everybody liked and respected, this is the guy you brought in to replace him. And I'm just not seeing it right now. We're not seeing it in terms of contributions. He's not even on the field for every play. Right? Like he, He's like being downgraded down the roster. $12 million a year potentially should buy me more than one catch for five yards. He hasn't made an impact. He needs to be making an impact. And if he's not contributing, the Patriots' offensive firepower looks even worse than we all already thought it was, right? Devontae Parker can't separate. You saw that on Max' first pass to the end zone yesterday on that first drive. Parker he couldn't get away from his defensive back. Now, the pass was off, but Parker didn't have a step. Bourne I like. Douglas I like, but he, he's stapled to the bench now half the time. And Juju can't get open or isn't on the field enough to get open. They've got to be able to find a way to have him make an impact because he's the guy they told us with their paycheck, with their wallet, was going to be able to make an impact. On the good side of things, well, look, if not Juju, rest assured, we've got Pharaoh Brown, Danny. If it's not Juju, it's Pharaoh. Right side, and on first down, play action. Over the top, they go, and he's got Brown. Pharaoh Brown stretches out. And it's a touchdown, New England. Wow. Good to see the touchdown for Farrell Brown. Good to see Farrell Brown contribute. A guy who's mostly been known as a blocker throughout his career. Signed with New England a couple of weeks ago. Makes an impact there in the pass game. And how about a little play action? That's what we've been calling for. That's what I love to see. That's, that is how you take shots in the NFL when you don't have elite talent. Look. When I was growing up, we played backyard football, and my dad was the all-day quarterback. Here was the play, okay? My dad would take the snap, 
and I would just run in a straight line and tell him to throw it to me. Okay, And I was going to outrun somebody to go get it, or I was going to be tall and jump up and bring it down. Okay, Some teams and some guys in the NFL can play that way. Most people who can't need to use trickery, and play action is the best form of trickery out there. Right? It's that simple. Do something, make the defense commit one way, and then go the other way over the top. If you don't have barn burners who can just win one-on-one in a straight line down the field, then create something that gets guys some steps, some leverage, some separation. That's what the Patriots did yesterday. Now, I went back and watched the replay. The Jets didn't totally fall for the fake. I almost think there was a busted coverage there. But in general, play action is a great way to open up your offense when you don't have elite playmakers that can do it by themselves. Good stuff there by Bill O'Brien. Good pass by Mac Jones. Good read by Mac Jones. Good job by Farrell Brown. Another thing on the good side of things. Patriots had no turnovers. Now, Mac should have had a pick six to start the second quarter on that screen pass that got just blown up and the Jets dropped it. It should have been a pick six. But, hey, you got away with one. Patriots didn't fumble it. Patriots didn't throw any picks. And as much as I want the Patriots to get off Pop Douglas's case, it is good when you don't turn the football over. Bill Belichick says the biggest thing in the NFL is is uh, is ball security. Patriots had ball security yesterday. Overall, I thought the defense played pretty well. They had three sacks. They kept the Jets to 171 yards of total offense. They held it without a touchdown until late in the fourth quarter. When the offense is sputtering, which is most of the time, the defense is going to give you a chance to figure some things out, and the Patriots did that again yesterday. Finally, on the bad side of things, I mean, look, that drive in the third quarter, what the Patriots had Three penalties on three consecutive plays. They had four in five plays. Two false starts. Too many men in the huddle. A blindside block. We talk about, oh, don't beat yourself. Don't beat yourself. Belichick teams don't beat themselves. Well, they were on the way to beating themselves yesterday. Luckily, they were against the Jets. Luckily, they they could overcome it. But you're not always going to be able to overcome it. You cannot have three turnovers in three consecutive plays. Patriots do get the win. They are one and two. We will uh, answer some of your texts here on the text line. We'll get CBS News. We'll come back. Mac Jones, did he go low on Sauce Gardner? I've got my verdict next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We're going to get to the uh, Mac Jones, Sauce Gardner stuff here uh, momentarily. But Texter gets in, 802-585-3026, says, Seems like we watched two good defenses and two backup quarterbacks. I think Mac Jones is a starter. I, I've said this. I think Mac Jones is a starter. But I do not think that Mac Jones is a $45 million a year starter. And that that's where we're at, Okay. I'm gonna, we're going to bring on Matt Verderam, NFL director or uh, former NFL director at Fanside, and now he works over at Sports Illustrated. He's going to be with us about 20 minutes or so. I'm going to kind of talk with him about this. I am done having the conversation of if Mac Jones is good. I believe Mac Jones is good, but there's is good, and there is is 45 million dollars a year good because that's what quarterbacks are going to get paid the next two years when it's time to pay Mac, right? Like, do you want to commit to him? 40 to 47 million dollars a year over five years. 
I, I am not there. I don't see that. So I think Mac Jones is a starter. But this is how I would play it out if I were the Patriots at this point. Okay? If I am the Patriots, and again, we're projecting a couple years down the road, so I don't know what's going to happen for better or worse with Mac over the next few years. I think Mac Jones is a $27 million a year quarterback. So if I'm the Patriots, could I pay Mac Jones $27 million a year and then still have money to build around him? That I would probably do. Now, I don't know that Mac would do that, potentially, right, because he knows that franchise quarterbacks get $40 million a year, and somebody might be willing to pay him that. But that somebody's not going to be me. So, and then if Mac isn't willing to do that, then I see him as the guy who floats around and is the fill-in stopgap guy who is good enough to start but isn't good enough to really stick, right? I think about him like the Andy Dalton type. Andy Dalton's good enough to start games here for Carolina. was good enough to start for Dallas. Jameis Winston, good enough to start for New Orleans the last couple of years. Teddy Bridgewater has started games. Sam Darnold starting at Carolina. Baker right now in Tampa. Geno in Seattle. There are plenty of those guys that are good enough to start if you're paying them 10 to $18 million a year, and they're there to keep the seat warm for somebody else. I can see that. I think Mac Jones is a starter in the NFL. He's just not a starter at $45 million a year. He might be a starter at 18. I might be willing to give him 25 to 27 in two or three years. But right now, I do not see him being a guy that gets paid $45 million a year. I've said, if you're going to pay a guy like that, got to be special. And I don't see special from Mac Jones. Danny, we were talking in the commercial break, and you brought up a good point that I think a lot of people are probably thinking about. We're talking about Juju Smith-Schuster. What is it that you were saying at commercial break? Yeah, we lost Jacoby Myers in the offseason, and I realized they both make about the same. Yeah, and that's I thought that was a, was a gross miscalculation on the Patriots' part. Okay, you let Jacoby Myers walk, let him go to Vegas. I think it was three years, $36 million. It's the same money that Juju gets. Now, again, it might be structured differently. The guarantees might be different. There are more guarantees. More guarantees for Myers. I believe so, yes. Okay. And that makes sense. But I would have rather had, you know, we're nickel and diming the wide receiver position, you know, over nickels and dimes. I would have rather had Jacoby Myers over over Juju Smith-Schuster. I wanted Jacoby Myers no matter what. I love Jacoby Myers, right? When this team couldn't do much in 2020 with Cam Newton at quarterback, even though I like Cam, Jacoby was there. When Mac was a rookie, 2021, Jacoby was there. When the offense couldn't do anything in 2022, Jacoby was there. Under multiple different offensive coordinators, with multiple different quarterbacks, in multiple different systems, and multiple different ways of playing, Jacoby Myers showed up and showed out. And I would have rather had him. And I will always take, if we're generally about the same age and generally about the same health level, I will always take a guy who's been here and has played with me and has played in my division and knows my system and for my head coach, I will always take that guy over somebody from the outside. Jacoby Myers and and Juju Smith-Schuster are very, very similar, but Jacoby had been here. I would have rather had him, and I'm disappointed still that he's not. How much better would this offense be if Jacoby Myers and DeAndre Hopkins were here? Answer, translation, much better. But they're not, and the offense looks like this, where it is a constant struggle. It is a constant struggle. Um, all right, Sauce Gardner and 
and Mac Jones in a minute here. But, Danny, let me, let me get in my two minutes here on what everybody else is talking about. Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Can I ask? You're younger than me, right? You're you're in the generation younger than me. You're. Can I ask you why people care so much about this? Like, I'm really trying to figure this out. Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey appear to be dating. Taylor Swift went to the game yesterday, was ch- sitting in the box, was cheering on Travis Kelsey. They hung out afterward. They had drinks uh, with a bunch of Kelsey's teammates. They appear to be dating. It appears to be nice and innocent at the moment and in the early going and we don't know beyond that. That's fine. But I want to figure out why sociologically people seem to care about this. This is on ESPN. This is on social media. Your boy Levitard's talking about this. Everybody is talking about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Celebrities date celebrities all the time. Famous people date famous people all the time. Why do we care so much about this one? Am I? Has everybody else gone mad or am I just no longer young, hip, and fun? Because I don't know why I'm supposed to really care about this. I think some of it might be we thought Travis Kelsey would have no chance when he threw that out there before. Maybe? Yeah, I, I'm, I think, I'm reaching. No, I, I think you're on to something. Okay, again, I've, I've tried to think why sociologically this matters to people. And I think you have a bit of the point right here. Okay, we've all been in a situation where we've gone after somebody at some point in our life that we thought was out of our league, right? Or we've all liked someone that we thought was out of our league or someone that we thought was unattainable. And Taylor Swift, even for a professional athlete, I have to imagine seems fairly unattainable, right? She's always on the road. She's very, very rich. She's could have any suitor that she wanted, I'm sure, why would she want to be with me? Like, I'm sure that's what the thought process is for Travis Kelsey. And we've there's probably a relatability there for us, right? Like, you or me liking the prom queen, or you or me liking the untouchable girl in high school, whatever it is. There's probably a bit of a, of a relatability there for people that, hey, this guy who seemed outclassed and seemed like he had no chance took his shot, and it appears to be working. I think you're on to something there. I think the other part of it is is that, I don't know a lot about Taylor Swift. Like, I don't know any more about her than you do. I think there's probably, even though she's had the the breakup history and that all her songs are about breaking up and all that, I think she's kind of cultivated this generally good girl image. And I could be wrong on that. But, like, I think she's generally seen as a good girl, right? She seems fairly nice. She isn't in the news for negative reasons other than the breakups, but I don't see a whole lot of scandal attached to Taylor Swift. So she's kind of painted as this good girl. I think Travis Kelsey is kind of painted as a bit of the bad boy, right? He had the dating show on MTV a bunch of years ago, catching Kelsey. He's seen kind of as the player. He's seen as pretty cocky, as pretty arrogant. And it's like this like oil and water thing where, okay, you've got the guy who felt like he was out of his league and shooting his shot and it working. And then also you've got the dichotomy of she seems like the good girl, he seems like the bad boy, and that's a, that's a story as as old as time of those two getting together and and seeing what happens. I, does that make any? Am I on to something here, Danny? Because I've been trying to figure this out why this is all over television for the last thirty six hours. Isn't Kelsey at this point just like kind of like what Gronk was, just kind of likable? I, I don't see him as polarizing at all. I thought he's just liked by most people. I don't think he's Gronk was love Gronk was like a lovable just a lovable Oof. fun guy. 
Yeah, if he was just like a lovable big goof. Kelsey, I think, is different. I think Kelsey is likable, but I do think there's the element of bad boyness to him. Now, again, I'm not somebody who's out looking for Travis Kelsey, but you go on MTV and you have a dating show catching Kelsey, you're a little more out there in the pool than Gronk was. So, I, yeah, I think there's something there to it. I think there's something there to it. Uh, Texter says, that's a good question as to why people care about this. Yeah, seriously. I Again, people date famous people. Famous people date famous people all the time. Like, rich people date rich people all the time. I think this is I, this is news or this is new because of what Danny and I just said and got, kind of got to the bedrock of, but it didn't matter to me that much. What mattered to me that much, and this is a serious question because I don't know the answer, I want to know if, if Taylor Swift has ever seen a football game before. And I don't ask that meanly or judgingly. She was so over-the-top excited. By his touchdown, Danny was your boy Levitard who said this. Like, that was the biggest overreaction to the easiest touchdown in football history. Like, the Chiefs are up like 34 to 10. Travis Kelsey is wide open, and she's just going nuts. And I don't know if it's because she's being supportive new spouse, or if it's because like I've never seen a football game before, and now I'm at one, and everything seems cool. I want to know if, if Taylor Swift is a is a big football fan. If she's watched football, if she's seen football. Texter says, who cares? Yeah, now you're trying to figure it out. Okay, I'm t- trying to figure out why people care. We're, you know, Steve, it's not all box score breakdown. We do a lot of that, but we're allowed three and a half minutes uh, of fun here for the day. You want to get to, you want to get to something Patriots related that's going to have the internet talking? Let's get to this. How about Sauce Gardner and Mac Jones? Did you hear this after the game? Did you see this after the game? Danny, we I gotta find it here. We've got the Sauce Gardner cut here, talking about Mac. So uh, let me set it up here. And I don't remember the exact situation. It was third and it was fourth and one, I think. Fourth quarter, I believe. Patriots went into that rugby style scrum. The Chiefs or the Eagles made popular in the Super Bowl last year. Patriots needed the first down. Mac runs it on the quarterback sneak. He gets stood up. The Jets defenders are going at his head. Max spins off of it, barrels over some guys, gets a first down. C.J. Mosley throws him down. Mac gets up, and then goes back to the goes back to the huddle. That's what we saw on TV. Sauce Gardner, the Jets defensive back, Danny said this after the game about what happened. Uh, my stomach hurting a little bit. Oh man. Oh man. Uh. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> yeah, I do gotta do gotta ice up. He's trying to stop me from having kids in the future. He's <laughs> <laughs> tripping. So, so we see on TV, Mac gets the first, gets thrown to the ground by C.J. Mosley. Then we see Mac get shoved to the ground again, and that's by Sauce Gardner. Now we don't know what's precipitated that. Like I, I thought. Should have been a penalty. I thought Sauce Gardner was playing dirty. I thought he should have been called for, for a personal foul. After the game, Sauce Gardner says that. Mac's trying to stop me from having kids. He's saying Mac hit him below the belt. He's saying Mac hit him below the belt. Well, the video is out now, right? The close-up video. I think Mac Jones is hitting Sauce Gardner below the belt. And I do think what Mac Jones did was dirty. And I do think Sauce Gardner was fair to react that way. And I no longer think it was a penalty. You don't want to talk about Taylor Swift 
and Travis Kelsey. That's fine. We could talk about Mac Jones groin shots to Sauce Gardner until 7 o'clock if we want to. I do think Mac did it. I do think it was dirty. And I don't think there's a place for it. And I hate that this is Mac Jones' reputation. Fair or foul, this is Mac Jones' reputation, and he's never going to get the benefit of the doubt. Back in 2021, Brian Burns was a defensive line player for the Carolina Panthers. He still is. Uh, Mac threw a pick or somebody fumbled or something like that, but Mac had to make a tackle on Brian Burns, and Brian Burns thought that Mac twisted his ankle. And I defended Mac there. I did not think that that he was trying to hurt Burns, but the, the word got out that Mac Jones was a dirty player. And players around the league thinks that think that Mac Jones is dirty, think that he's whiny, think that he's a uh, sore loser, whatever. We've seen him be emotional on the sideline. I could see some of that now. I absolutely think yesterday was dirty. It looked like a cheap shot. It looked like a low blow. And Mac was asked about it after the game, Danny. Here's what he said about it after the game. Um, just football. I think it's a physical game, and at that point in the game, you just have to fight to get it, no matter what you, you got to do to get, you know, get the one yard. Um, so this is part of the game, no big deal. No, it's that's great, Mac, for the actual play itself. What about what happened after the play? Okay, because it is football when you're trying to get third and one or fourth and inches or whatever it was, right? It was football. You you quarterback sneak, you get stood up, you spin off, you plow forward, they throw you down. That was physical, hard, old-school football between two teams who needed a victory. That's fine. But the, 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 the thing in question happened after that. Mac gets thrown down by Mosley, gets up, and then it looks like he takes a shot at the groin area of Sauce Gardner. Now, Mac, I think, also said that he's trying to, you know, he's looking for help up, so he's kind of got his hand up in the air. Gardner wouldn't do it. So then Mac keeps it there, like, come on, help me up. And then, you know, Gardner doesn't help him, so as Mac extends his hand, you know, he hits Gardner in the groin. I didn't see it that way. Danny, I, I, I do not like my teams being called dirty, so I tend to defend the Patriots, the Red Sox, the Celtics, the Bruins, my teams, my Seattle teams, I tend to defend them against the allegations of being dirty. I, I'm not defending this. I think Mac is in the wrong. I do think it was intentional. And I think someone called him the Grayson Allen of the NFL. That is his reputation now. Fair or foul, that is his reputation. The Brian Burns play, coupled with his kind of general attitude on the sideline, there is a, there is a picture painted that Mac is a whiny guy and is a guy who is um, is is a little immature. And I think yesterday was an extension of that. Do, do you think I'm wrong on this, Danny? No, because we kind of have evidence of it now too, don't we? I mean, the video is blown up. It's a little bit grainy, and I can't fully see contact made between Mac Jones's hand and the groin area of Sauce Gardner. But it's pretty... Look, Sauce Gardner, he was going back back to the huddle, and then all of a sudden he's pushed back to the ground. What's the reason for that? He's got to be provoked. I think the video shows clearly Mac Jones' hand in a bad area. I can see the provo- pro- provocation, provocation, provoc. I don't know the word, but I can see the, him being provoked there. I, so that is not a good look on Mac. I did not like it. I do not like my team to play that way. I would expect that Mac Jones is going to get a fine on this. 
the league is investigating it, I would think that Mac Jones is going to get a fine. I would think they're going to get a fine. I mean, it's just, I, I, I don't love that. I do not love that at all, frankly. 802-585-3026 on the text line. Anybody has thoughts on Mac Jones? Anybody has thoughts on, um, on the Patriots as a whole? Danny, I do, before we get to Matt Verderam, want to play one bit of sound here from post game. Uh, I want to hear from Matthew Judon, who was talking about, he was kind of asked about the defense as a whole and the offense as a whole and what it's like to play defense when the offense is struggling and things like that. Judon said, we as a defense, we answer the call when the call comes. What when we go out there and practice, we we don't really care about what the offense do, and that's what we prove today. Like the offense is gonna be the offense. They're gonna make big plays. They're gonna make explosive plays. But when our when it's our time, you know, we got to answer the call. We got to answer the bill, and that's what we uh, want to do. We want to end the game in our hand. We don't want it to be in a thrilling fashion. But if that's the case, you know, hail Mary, we go out there and stop it. That's the right thing to say. It's a good thing for a defensive leader to say, for a veteran to say, like, hey, we want the ball in our hands. We want to stop. We want to be out there at the end of the game. It's the right thing to say. Mac Jones could learn a thing or two there from Matthew Judon about how to handle things. I don't know that it's truthful. I've wondered this now through three weeks. If you're the Patriots' defense, how do you feel about the Patriots' offense? 802-585-3026. If you're the Patriots defense, how do you feel about the Patriots offense? I'd have to tell you that I'm feeling by week three now, I'm, my, my, my approval level is starting to waver. Right? Week one, you come in with optimism. Bill O'Brien's there. New pieces. Kind of give the guys a pass. Week two, little bit of the same thing. By week three, I would think that, Mac, that Matthew Jude out of that defense is looking for the offense to take a significant step and is looking for the offense to bail them out, is looking for the offense to uh, pick them up, is looking for the offense to give them a breather. Matthew Judon might say, hey, yeah, we want the game to be decided by us. I don't know that he actually wants that. I think he wouldn't mind a game where the offense goes out and puts up 30 and the final score is 30-10 to 10, and the defense doesn't have to stand up on every single play. I don't know that Matthew Judon wants to have to go out there three times in the final five minutes because the offense can't continue to move the football. I always think there's division on a team when one group is not living up to its end of the bargain. And I don't think the Patriots are divided in terms of being broken apart, but I do think Matthew Judon and the rest of the defense is saying, come on, guys, help us out a little bit here, right? Right. If an offense, if, if, if a team has the best pitching in the league, but is hitting 220, wouldn't the pitching staff be like, come on, where's our help? Conversely, if the team was hitting 360 and the team had an ERA of 8, wouldn't they be saying, hey, come on, guys, we're scoring 8 runs a game here. Can't you hold them to at least 6 for us? If a starting staff was great and the bullpen kept blowing it, I would think, okay, if a goaltender in hockey, if a goalkeeper, goaltender, goalkeeper, if a goalkeeper was like, hey, I'm standing on my head, why are we losing games one nothing all the time? you got to be able to score. I always think there's division within a locker room when one team or one unit is not holding up their end of the bargain. And i got to think the Patriots' defense is starting to think like, okay, the offense better hold up their end because we're, we're holding up our end. 
30-26. Texter says he probably feels the exact same way the Jets' defense does. Yes, the Jets' defense feels worse. I mean, the Jets' defense would be way more upset. I would have to, right? Like, you saw the you saw the sideline yesterday for the Jets. It was a mess, right? An unmitigated disaster. Michael Carter's yelling at LaFleur. You got Garrett Wilson over there with Zach Wilson. I'm sure the defense hates the entirety of the offense. None of this is good in New York. The Patriots are not at that level. But I would have to think there's some internal resentment of where the Patriots are at offensively. 802-585-3026. As for the question, who cares about Taylor Swift? Shannon in East Montpelier cares. She says, I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but I think worldwide she's more popular than Travis Kelsey. Definitely. Anything she does makes headlines, and sports outlets may be trying to bring in more fans. Good point as well. Just like Jessica Simpson and Tony Romo years ago, she may have never seen a football game but knows the cameras are on her. Yeah, I don't know if she's ever seen a football game. I do. I, I have no idea at all. She's from Pennsylvania. That obviously is a very good high school football area. Uh, obviously has spent time. I would, you know, she started out as a country artist. I have to assume she spent some time in Nashville, where everywhere in the South is football country. So I have to imagine she's seen it, but I don't know that for a fact. But I think Shannon's right. Okay, she's much more popular than Travis Kelsey. I mean, a zillion people know who Taylor Swift is. Not a zillion people know who Travis Kelsey is. So I do think there is some trying to poach the audience there, or poach an audience. I think, I think Shannon's right about that. So, and there's your gossip update for the day. It's the Brady Farka Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Back to the Patriots. I don't feel much better about them today, despite their win. Should I feel better about them? We'll ask the man, Matt Verderam, Sports Illustrated NFL Insider, next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Parker Show here on this Monday, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Continuing our conversation about the Patriots and their uh, ugly 15-10 win over the New York Jets. But it is a win, and the Pats are 1-2. and two. We're joining us now to break it down. Matt Verderam, Sports Illustrated, NFL Insider. Matty V, long time no talk. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well as well. We're a lot happier today in Patriots land at 1-2 and two as opposed to 0-3. Oh My question is, should we be happy after that performance yesterday? Yeah, yeah, you should be. Uh, it's a road divisional win. It wasn't pretty. Nobody's arguing that it belongs in uh, the all-time pantheon of NFL's great game. But, uh, yeah, listen, you win in the NFL. You win, you move on. Uh, now you go play the Cowboys on the road who just lost to the Cardinals. And so, you know, look, you have a little bit more hope in that game. But then afterwards, the schedule, it lightens up uh, for a couple of weeks with the Saints and the Raiders before it gets tough again. So, yeah, I think if you are if you're a Pats fan, Look, you're not thrilled with the offense. I mean, the offense is still a, a serious, serious work in progress. I, I don't think anybody would deny that. Mac Jones was was not good. Um, not awful, but not not particularly good. Obviously, the one big play to Farrell Brown. Other than that, you know, a lot of dinking, a lot of dunking, but they ran the ball really well. Um, and I, I think if you're the Pats, look, you, you have to know that you're going to win on defense and you're going to win with a controlled offensive attack that's what they did, uh, and they saved their season, at least for the time being. You play in bad weather. 
you play against Zach Wilson, and we know the warts in his game. Yes. A win is a win, but can you really learn anything about the Pats from a game like yesterday? No, I, I really didn't learn anything about them. I mean, they're very good defensively, and they're really limited on offense. I mean, that that's pretty much what New England is, and that's what they're going to be all year long. I don't think that's going to all of a sudden change. I mean, this is a team that, you know, receiver, let's be honest, um, it's a struggle right now. You know, you bring in Juju Smith-Schuster, he has 66 yards all year long. Um, you know, I, I think Douglas has real talent. I think he's, you know, he's a guy who has some explosiveness to his game, but he says seven catches all year long. Um, it, it's a group that there's just not a lot there. And so you're going to have to win games with Ramondre Stevenson, right? With Zeke, you're going to have to win games with turnover differential. You're going to have to win the game on the margins, third down and in red zone. And so, if you can do that, um, and that's a hard thing to do to, to, to be good in all those areas every week, but if, if any team can do it, it's a team coached by Belichick. Uh, I mean, on third down yesterday, the Pats were 8 of 19, which is not great, not terrible. It's decent. The Jets were 2 of 14. But that's how you're going to win games if you're in New England, and, and they, they showed it yesterday. Seeing what Miami did to Denver yesterday, should we feel a lot better about how the Pats looked against Miami in week two? I thought the Pats were fine in that game, honestly. I mean, they, you know, look, they were within a score. They were close to tying it up at the end. I mean, Miami's really good. Um, I think everybody's going a little overboard on Miami because of how unbelievable they've been offensively the first couple of weeks. But, like, Miami's going to come back to earth a little bit too offensively. Otherwise, it's the greatest offense ever play, and I don't think that's the case. So, I, I think if you're New England, you feel okay. Look, you lost a close game to Philly. Well, it's a close game to Miami. You beat the Jets in a close game. I think you're going to be in a lot of close games. Probably going to be around 500. I think that's probably where the season's headed. You're going to beat bad teams. You're going to lose to most of the good teams. But, you know, if you're the Pats and you look at the schedule, it, it, look, it's, it's going to be up and down this year. I mean, there, there obviously is another game with the Dolphins. There's two with the Bills. They play the Chiefs. But there's a lot of winnable games out there, too. I mean, the Saints at home is winnable. The Raiders on the road is very winnable. They should win that game. Washington at home, the Colts at home, the Giants on the road, the Chargers at home, at Pittsburgh, at Denver, the Jets again. I mean, that's like nine games. Those are all very winnable football games. All all games, if you're a New England fan, you're going to win those games. So, yeah, I mean, they're gonna look. They're gonna be in the mix as we get to the latter half of the year. And if you're New England, I think you're okay with that. Are you surprised by how much it looks like Zeke has left in the tank? They had to use him more yesterday than I think the plan was. You know, I always thought Zeke was going to come in and run it between four and seven times a game and then have a couple of catches and be a good pass blocker on third down. He really had to be a focal point of the offense yesterday, but he looked like, at least for one week, he had a lot left in the tank. He did. Um, you know, look, I'm not surprised. I think early in the year he's going to have a lot more in the tank, obviously, than he will later in the year. So if you're going to ride him for a game or two, now's probably the time. You got 16 carries. You ran the ball 40 times overall. Um, I, I was surprised in, in, in a sense that, yeah, I, I think at this point in his career, he's more of a complimentary back, but, uh, he did a nice job and they, they need him mostly for pass blocking, for, you know, services and for the occasional run, as you mentioned, Brady. But I think overall, um, this is, this is a pleasant surprise if he can give you that here and there, um, and, and give Stevenson a little bit of a blow. So I think overall, yeah, you're pretty happy with, uh, what Zeke's given you. And, and yesterday, certainly 16 carries, 
Uh, he did a nice job helping to really salt that game away. Matt Verderam, the uh, NFL insider over at Sports Illustrated, with us here on the Brady Park Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Patriots beat the Jets yesterday 15-10, now 1-2 and two on the year. Look, I am – I think I'm just a Mac Jones truth teller, right? I don't think I'm a Mac Jones hater. I don't think I'm a Mac Jones supporter. I think I'm just a Mac Jones truth teller. I like him. I don't love him. I think there's good things. I think there's things I certainly uh, wish were different about Mac's game and about his attitude as well. How important is this year for him in terms of figuring out what the Patriots' future is with Mac Jones? Because I'm beyond the point of, like, is Mac Jones good or bad? I'm like, is he $45 million a year good is the only thing I need to figure out the answer to at this point. Yeah, he's not that good. He's not that He's not that good. Like, look. So there are different levels of this. Zach Wilson is a borderline, not even in the NFL type quarterback. Like he's okay. a backup quarterback at best. Then there's the Mahomes and the Burroughs of the world. And those guys are worth whatever they get paid. Okay. They're worth their 55, 60 million a year. Mac Jones to me is a guy who's an average to below average NFL starting quarterback. I think he's competent. I think he can win you some games, but are you going to win a Super Bowl with Mac Jones? Probably not. Are you going to win a division with Mac Jones? Probably not. Um, if you're in the AFC East and you got to deal with Tua and Josh Allen for the next decade, do you want to go to those games with Mac Jones? Probably not. Um, and I know the argument will be, well, Dan, you know, Daniel Jones got paid $40 million. Yeah, and that was an awful contract. That was an awful contract the second it was signed. So if I'm New England, like I'm playing out this year, and I'm thinking about, okay, am I going to pick up his option? I mean, you could, and that, that wouldn't be crazy. That's probably the tough decision, but I'm not extending him. There's no way. I'd probably pick his option up and let it play out because it's only an injury guarantee, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't extend him. There's no way I would extend him right now. You know, I, I think Jared Goff is working to buck this a little bit because he's had a good resurgence in Detroit. But but I look at Mac like I look at Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo and these guys who were good, not great, but got paid a bunch of money. And then their teams were trying to get out of it the first second that they could. That's how I view Mac Jones. Yeah, I, I think look, Goff is. He's been better in Detroit than he was at the end in L.A. He's been better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I think I think Goff can do more than Mac Jones can do. I mean, I, I look at Mac Jones, and I think more of, like, Andy Dalton. Like, and Andy Dalton might even have, you know, more to his name, to be perfectly honest. I mean, Andy Dalton, you know, for, for all of his flaws, um, you know, he was a guy who had a couple of years where, you know, he had, well, yeah, two years. Two years where he threw for 4,200 yards. Uh, he had, you know, he had a year where he threw 33 touchdowns. I think that's probably like Andy Dalton's probably like the high side of what Mac Jones can be. Now, if you want to make the argument that Mac Jones just doesn't have any talent around him on offense, okay, fair. I'll hear that argument, but I, I just don't see the upside. Like, what is the upside of Mac? What is the best version of Mac Jones? I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe it's Jared Goff. It's Kirk Cousins. That's the best version of Mac Jones is Kirk Cousins. But Kirk Cousins also had Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook and had a lot of help. And I think Kirk is better than Mac. But I think the ultimate comparison, I think Mac would be lucky to get to Kirk Cousins. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think he'd be lucky to get there too. I, I think, I think that's not unfair. Like it's not a bad comparison, but I think the, he, if he ever becomes Kirk Cousins, I'd be surprised. Matt Verderan with us here from Sports Illustrated with us on the Brady Parker show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Where are you at right now with Belichick? Because the, the drumbeat has grown louder about, I mean, Chris Canty of ESPN said he needed to be fired and it was over. And then other people say he needs to not be the GM and he needs to not be as involved in the draft. And then other people are like, he deserves a lifetime achievement award. He gets to go out whenever he wants to. Where do you stand on Belichick? I still think he's a great coach. I don't think he should be the GM of the team. I, I wrote that years ago. I don't think he should be the GM of the team. Um, but I still think he can coach. The, I mean, look at that Miami game. They were right in that game. They had no business being in that game with their talent level on offense. They, they were right in that game. I, I think Belichick's the best defensive mind in NFL history. I'm not firing that guy at all. But they need more talent on offense. And you, know, you always see people like, well, you know, when he didn't have Brady, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I mean, yeah, without Brady, it hasn't been great. Well, Andy Reid's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Well, he, he wasn't before Patrick Mahomes showed up. <laughs> I mean, those guys elevate everybody around them. Everybody around them. George Seifert won two Super Bowls in the 90s in, with, with San Francisco with Joe Montana and Steve Young. He then went to Carolina and went 1-15. in 15. Yeah, having a great all-time quarterback kind of matters. It does. Now, there are some coaches like the Mike Tomlins of the world who they find ways to win no matter what. But even Tomlins, greatest Tomlins. The Steelers haven't won a playoff game in almost a decade. I mean, it's not like Tomlins out there winning Super Bowls left and right without Ben Roethlisberger in his prime. It's not. They're not winning playoff games. It's impossible in today's NFL to win big without an elite quarterback. I, I don't know how people don't understand that. Like, Belichick can still coach. They don't have the quarterback and the talent around the guy to win. They don't. So I think people just don't understand. It's like Belichick should just be able to make, you know, wine out of this team. How? How are they going to do it? When you've got a quarterback across from you who can, on third and 13, convert it like it's third and three, and for the Pats, a third and seven is like third and 70. I mean, you, you can't, you can't sit there and be mad at Belichick because Mac Jones is trying to thread the needle to Juju Smith Schuster. I'm sorry. Like that, that's just not nonsensical. Now you can say he, the, he's the reason for that situation because the GM side of it, which is why I, I've, again, I've advocated probably for five years now. It shouldn't be the GM of that team, but. As a coach, I still think you can coach with anybody. Matt Vernram, Sports Illustrated. Always a pleasure to have you on the show, Matt. We appreciate it. We'll catch up again down the road. Anytime, man. Take care. Absolutely. There goes Matt Vernram, Sports Illustrated. Uh, Will over in Plattsburgh says, I like this guy. I totally agree with his view. I love when Matty V comes on the show, right? Matt is, I mean, he has grinded so hard to get where he's at. He and I went to college together. He's a couple years older than me, but we worked at the college television station together. We've remained friends for years. We talk all the time. Uh, he is one of the best football minds that I know, and he's one of my favorite guests to get on. And, and look, man, he's a, he, he is as plugged into the league as a whole as you can be, right? He's over at Sports Illustrated now, and he was at Fansided before that. And he ran their whole NFL coverage. He is great. I love getting his perspective. Will says, I like him, totally agree with his view. I agree with a lot of what he had to say, right? He's not paying Mac, I'm not paying Mac. We both think Mac's, you know, it would be good for Mac, great for Mac if he could get to Kirk Cousins' level. That's not a great worldview for for Mac either because I don't love Kirk Cousins. He is good, but he's not 
get you over the hump good. The one thing I disagree with Matt on is I would give Belichick some grief for how this has played out. Like, yes, he can still coach. I wouldn't fire Belichick to coach either. They do have to figure out a way to take player personnel out of his hands. And Matt did say that, but he's basically like, oh, you can't blame Belichick because Matt can't do this. Well, Belichick drafted Knack, and Belichick put, a, put together the team of wide receivers. So Belichick, the GM, is getting in the way of Belichick, the coach. And Matt did kind of say that, but he's like, oh, we can't blame Belichick, the coach. I'm blaming Belichick, the coach, because Belichick, the GM, is also Belichick, the coach. That's the only thing I disagreed with there. They've got to figure out a way to get Belichick out of the player personnel side of things and let him just do what he does best, which is coach the team. I, I don't know how you have that conversation. I don't know how you go about having that conversation. I don't know if it's easy or difficult for Robert Kraft to say that, but that's where we are at. So Brady Farkas showing WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. That interview is going to be available shortly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at WDEVradio.com. I want to get to one non-Patriots thing. Today's the first day of UVM men's basketball practice, UVM women's basketball practice. A couple quick thoughts on the start of a new year in Catamount country before we get you out of here. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. That's on from 7 till 9. Then it's Eye on the World with John Batchelor. And one piece of non-Patriots news today. Great day in Catamount country, right? This is the day we've been waiting for since March. UVM men and women's basketball both held their very first practices of the year today. This is the first day that the NCAA has mandated that these programs can practice. And there they were on the courts at Patrick Gym. I love this day. Okay, I love baseball season. I love football season. I also love UVM basketball season. And there's a lot to like about these teams. There's a lot to like about where these programs were at. And they both come in with very different questions. That's going to be fun to watch play out over the course of the next six months or so, right? On the women's side, it's simple. How do you handle being the hunted, right? The UVM women's basketball program has been building, building, building in the entirety of my life in Burlington, or entirely in my life in Vermont, I should say, right? They've been building, building, building. It's easier to come when you are when, when you are chasing from behind because there's less expectations. Last year, they got to the top of the mountain. They got over the top of the mountain. How do they handle the increased pressure, the increased expectations? They're a very, very upperclassman-laden team. I do believe that they're going to have the right leadership in place. But also, this team has been to the NCAA tournament now. They want to get back. How do they make it so that the regular season means as much to them as it did last year? Right? We always talk about, you know, once you've been to the, to the show, you just want to get back to the show. But it's not that easy. It is a process. It is a building process. And this team has to go through those battles. How does that leadership group make it so that they are able to value the regular season and that journey in the way they have in the past? And Catherine Gilby's out for the year. She makes that team go. Emma Utterback gets a lot of the headlines. She's excellent. Delaney Richardson is excellent. Anna Olson is excellent. Bella Vito is excellent. Catherine Gilby makes the team go. And she's out for the year. That's a huge loss. How do they overcome that? On the men's side, 
you've lost a lot of players, right? You lose the player of the year in Finn Sullivan. You lose Robin Duncan, who's the heart and soul of your team, right? You've lost a lot for another year. How do you rebuild, okay? How do you rebound? Aaron Deloney is still there. He's excellent in the backcourt. T.J. Hurley is back now as a sophomore. Expect a big year from him. Then you've got a guy I'm really excited to watch is Aliri Iofalier, guy who long, athletic. We know he can rebound. We know he can be disruptive defensively. Can he be a guy who can get you 8, 10 points a game? I don't know yet. Is his offensive skill set more refined this year? I can't wait to see that play out. Matt Varetto, who's a grad student, who's got a great shot from the outside, a guy who can really, really stroke it. Fiorillo, how does he look now back again as a grad student? Is he able to stay healthy? Is he able to get his outside shot again more consistently? Those are just on the returners. And then there's a lot of really good guys to be excited about that came in off the transfer portal. Uh, okay, you've got Jackson Skipper, who was on the program last year but redshirted. He's supposed to be great. Brenton Mills. He comes in from Bowling Green, who's already been in the league at Binghamton before. Shamir Bogues, who comes in from Tarleton State, a guy who I know is athletic. Jace Rokamore is a guy from San Diego who can play defense, right? They got this kid, Seth Joba. They got TJ Long, who comes in from Fairfield, who is an all-MAC player, if I'm remembering correctly. So there's a lot of things to be excited about when it comes to the UVM men's program. There's more unknowns than the UVM women's program, but there's a lot to be excited about there as well. It's good. We're going to get our first games here in about a month, our first scrimmages for these programs, and then we're going to be off and running. Once November 1st hits, we are going to be off and running. Now, I told you I don't love the UVM men's team's home schedule, but I love watching these teams play, and both the men and the women are going to deserve, deserve your attention. They have two different storylines, two different skill sets, two different sets of questions, but they have one common goal, and that's to get us both dancing again or get them both dancing again come NCAA tournament time. I love to watch it. You love to watch it. The journey officially starts today, and we start to get some answers to those questions, right? No Dylan Penn, no Finn Sullivan, no Robin Duncan. It's a lot to lose for the UVM men. A couple guys now that come in from the transfer portal there to try to fill the void. Thanks to all of you for getting in on the text line. Double Monday Night Football tonight, by the way, Eagles-Bucks, and then Joe Burrow is going to play for the Bengals against the Rams. Matt Verderam's interview and the podcast available on our podcast channel, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website. Thanks to Danny. Thanks to all of you for getting in there. We'll see you tomorrow on DEV.